So Dave just said, this is a song that we don't know very well. We haven't sung it very often. And, and, um, and then he started singing it. And I thought, wait a minute, we know that song. And we used to sing it a lot, which is perfect for how I'm going to open my sermon this morning. Because I want to tell you the first joke, Bible joke, that I ever remember hearing and telling. So that gives you an idea of how old this joke is. And I know you're waiting for me to tell you I'm telling you my last Bible joke, right? Ever. That's not going to happen today. But um, hopefully this joke is so old that you haven't heard it in a while. But I'm telling it for a reason. Okay? There's a reason behind this telling. So uh, a fellow wakes up in a hospital bed. He just had some very serious surgery. He looks out into the hall and he sees his doctor talking to his preacher. And they talk for a while. They shake hands. The preacher comes in to see this guy in his bed. And, and the guy goes, what's that my doctor you were talking to out there? It was. Were you by chance talking about me? We were. Well, what did he say? Because no one said a word to me. I don't know how the operation went. I don't know, you know what's the prognosis. I, tell me something. How did it go? The preacher saw that he had his Bible by his bedstand there. And so the preacher walked over and patted him on the arm and said, Hebrews 13, 8. Walked out the door. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. The guy in the bed didn't know that. So he gets his Bible. But he thought the preacher said Hebrews 8.13. So he turned to that passage and he read, Behold, that which is growing old, becoming obsolete, is ready to pass away. <laughs> there is a danger in just picking a verse out of thin air, Right? It is dangerous just to pick any verse out of thin air and then kind of take it, you know, for what it says. Um, we're starting a new sermon series this week. We are going to talk about some things that Jesus said. And we're going to talk about some things that Jesus didn't say. You know, there, there's a lot of things that, uh, that are in the Bible that Jesus said. And we read it and we say, wow, did, did Jesus really say that? There's all some things in the Bible, some statements that are uh, actually that, that aren't in the Bible, but they're so familiar that we think they have to be in the Bible, right? This has to be biblical. I mean, Jesus had to say it. Some, somebody from the Bible had to say it, only to find out, you know, same question, did Jesus really say that? So this morning, I want to jump into this series by talking about a statement that Jesus absolutely did make. And I'm going to tell you right up front, it's a difficult statement. It's a statement that when you hear it, you're going to think, well, that's not difficult at all. But it's something that is difficult. In fact, a lot of people will find it a little bit disturbing. And listen, there are all kinds of reasons why some of the things that Jesus said are hard to swallow. I said some of the things. But it's true. Some of the things that Jesus said were, were kind of hard to swallow, and there's reasons for that. One reason is he lived 2,000 years ago, half a world away, he spoke into an ancient Jewish culture. Um, and we just don't understand the culture. There's a time gap. There's a cultural gap. So some of the things that he said is just hard for us to understand. Another problem is some of the things he said, it's not that they're hard to understand, they're almost too easy to understand. It was Mark Twain who said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand that keep me up at night. Meaning, there are things that Jesus said that are just so plain and so obvious, and yet they're counterintuitive to the way we want to live our lives. 
Jesus' words can be hard to swallow for lots of reasons. You know, sometimes it seems like his words don't really line up with the image that we have of Jesus. So there are words of Jesus that, that are hard to swallow, but we still ought to be chewing on them. And if I can stay with my metaphor here, we still need to digest what Jesus has to say. We need to pay very close attention to everything that he said. And we need to know what he said and what he didn't say. Remember, he closed out the Sermon on the Mount by saying, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. The words that Jesus spoke matter. Jesus said, the very words I speak will judge you on the last day. So we need to pay attention to what Jesus said. So we're going to jump in this morning to something that Jesus said. And again, you're going to recognize this passage. You're going to say, well, that's not disturbing. That's not troubling. We memorize this passage. We sing songs about this passage. But I'm still going to argue that there are a lot of people who find this passage extremely troubling. It's John chapter 14. The context of John chapter 14 is Jesus is in the upper room. He and the apostles are celebrating the, the Passover meal. And within 24 hours, Jesus is going to be betrayed and crucified. He knows it. They don't. Here's how chapter 14 begins, which, by the way, is my wife's very favorite passage. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why would Jesus tell these men, don't let your hearts be troubled? Why would Jesus tell these men, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled? Well, we know the context of the conversation. And we know that Jesus has just shared some very troubling information with these men. He just dropped some bombshells on these guys. If you go back, you can go back and read it yourself, the, the previous chapter or two. Uh, Jesus says, listen, one of you is going to betray me. Not only that, but I'm leaving. And where I'm leaving, you can't come. Not yet. And then he tells Peter, Peter, like who's like closer to Jesus than just about anyone else. He says, Peter, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me three times. But before morning, you're going to deny me three times. So Jesus has just shared all of this troubling information with these guys. That's why he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. One of you is going to betray me. Um, I'm leaving. You can't come with me just yet. Peter, you're going to deny me. But in my father's house are many rooms. There's lots of space. If it weren't so, I would have told you. If there weren't a lot of rooms, I would have told you there's not a lot of rooms. There, there's plenty of rooms. So I'm going to come back and you can be with me. And here's the punchline. 
They had no idea what he was talking about. I'm not sure they understood any of what Jesus was trying to tell them. I'm not sure they even know he was talking about heaven here. They don't understand any of this. All they understand is, Jesus just said, I'm leaving, and you can't come, not yet. And Peter, you're going to deny me three different times. Now let's step out of that conversation for just a minute. Isn't it encouraging to know even when we don't understand everything, even when there are seasons in our lives when we can't really tell what Jesus is up to, He's still working for our benefit. He's still preparing a place for us. Isn't it good news that even though our time, there are times when, when He knows that, that we're going to be disloyal to Him, that He's still working to prepare a place for us. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And no matter how little you understand in the moment, no matter how disloyal you may have been in the past, my plan is to have us together. Jesus longs to have us with him. He's preparing for that day. So let's jump back into the conversation in John 14. Jesus tells them, by the way, you, you know the way to the place I'm going. And it's Thomas who speaks up and says, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way to where you're going? And then Jesus tells him in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Believe it or not, that's the statement that I want to land on this morning. That's the statement that I, that I want to, you to remember. This, Jesus really did say this. And that's a statement that I'm going to argue is a little bit troubling. And again, you can say, that's not a troubling statement. I've known that verse all my life. Of course Jesus said that. I love that verse. That verse is troubling, and that verse is disturbing to an awful lot of people in our culture. Because Jesus did not say that he was a way and he did not say he was one of several different truths. And he didn't say that he was an option for life. What he said was, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And then to kind of cap it off, he says, and if you want to get to the Father, you're going to have to go through me. Now, Jesus makes this statement in the last 24 hours before the cross. And just like anyone who knows he's about to die, there are some things that he does not want left unsaid. And he wants to be sure that his disciples hear this, that they understand it, and that they remember it, because he knows they're going to need this information. They're going to need to remember him telling them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he makes it so clear. There, there, there's no ambiguity in Jesus' statement. It is so clear that a lot of people in our culture today have a real problem with it. There's a lot of people, and I'm sure there's people in your realm of influence, who have an issue with the exclusive claim that Jesus just made. We live in a time, we live in a culture 
where people are increasingly uncomfortable saying that one way is better than another way. And we live in a culture where people are increasingly uncomfortable admitting that maybe one truth is truer than another truth. And we live in a culture where people are increasingly uncomfortable if anyone who says that one way of life is more valid than another way of life. So, the question for us is, how do we respond to that? Let me share with you a couple of thoughts. For people who struggle with this idea of Jesus being not just a way, not just another way, with Jesus being the way, think about this. We all have life experiences that tell us not all roads lead to the same destination. I mean, common sense tells us that. The road you are on matters. And I'm using that road analogy intentionally because that's the language that Jesus uses in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the path. I am the road. And we all understand that you can't just take any road and get to where you want to go. Not all roads lead to the same place. We all know if we want to go to the mountains, don't go out here on I-75 and go south. You will cross some uh, phosphate mounds down around Ruskin, right? But your car will get wet before you reach mountains. We all understand that. you got to go north. The direction indicates and determines our destination. Your way matters. Why wouldn't you think it matters when it comes to knowing truth and experiencing life. Our life experiences tell us that the road we are on, the way we are traveling matters. I'll give you another kind of practical example. Our life experiences, different aspects of our life, we are happy. We are more than willing to admit that people know more than we do. We acknowledge that all the time. Well, people get offended when Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. And I am the life. We don't want to submit to Jesus, but we submit to other people all the time. People who know more than we do. You'll remember a couple months ago, I had some knee surgery. My knee was really hurt and I'd injured it. I, I knew I had to get something done. You know who I didn't talk to about my knee? I didn't talk to Gary Richardson. I never once asked his opinion about my knee. Why wouldn't you talk to Gary? He's such a nice guy. He's so smart. He's so wise. Retired not too long ago. He has the time, right? You know why I didn't talk to Gary about my knee? His opinion about what was going on in here didn't matter too much to me. I didn't care what he thought was going on in here. I needed someone with some superior knowledge. And for that matter, I didn't want a surgeon who said, you know, I've been kind of curious about knees myself. <laughs> that stuff I learned in medical school, that's a truth. That's one way that I guess they could work, but I'm not sure they might work other ways too. I'll tell you what, I'll open it up and we'll both look and we'll try to figure out what's going to work best for your knee. Of course I didn't want that. I wanted someone who knew the truth about how a knee is supposed to work. And I wanted an orthopedic surgeon with superior knowledge. Someone who knew more than Gary, who knew more than me. Someone who knew what was truth. And I was fine with that. I was fine with submitting to that. 
we all have these life experiences where we know that some things are true, some things are not. You know, we, we, we submit to exclusivity all the time. And yet, when it comes to Jesus, the Son of God, you know, the, the, the Messiah, we want to push back. Hmm, okay, that might be a way. But I think I can figure it out on my own. You know, I'm, I'm a smart guy, I'm wise, I got the time. I, I think I can figure out my own way. How's that been working for you? Jesus is the way. But, but I'll give you a much more concrete argument for those struggling with Jesus being the way than the idea that all roads lead to God. Then why the cross? If all roads lead to God, if the way doesn't matter, why the cross? Why would Jesus have to suffer and die on a Roman cross? I know that we have a lot of men and women in this family who uh, have served and are serving in the military. I know a lot of you have seen action, have seen combat. Could you imagine getting ready to go into combat and being told, you know, this is just an option. There's probably some other ways we could work this out, but we're going to go ahead and send you into harm's way. We're going to go ahead and have you put your life on the line, but there's probably some other ways we could figure this out. Could you imagine being told that? Could you imagine being told that your, your son or your daughter is going to be sent in, in a life-threatening situation? But there's probably another option. You know, you don't do that unless there's no other option. You don't put people in harm's way. You don't put people you love in harm's way unless there's absolutely no other option. Here's where I'm going with this. No one was more interested in options than Jesus. You think about what was going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what Jesus was doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was exploring options. He was praying to the Father, if at all possible, would you take this cup from me? There was a part of Jesus that didn't want to be the way. There's a part of Jesus that said, let's find another way. And yet, his prayer was, not my will, but your will be done. And the Father made sure that the Son understood there is no other way. You, Jesus, are the way. There is no other way. Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is the new life-giving way that Christ has opened up for us through the sacred curtain by means of His death for us. If there really was any other way to the Father, then the cross was a big mistake. And the cross was not a big mistake. The cross provided us a new life-giving way to the Father. The cross is proof that Jesus is the way. So is the resurrection. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised Him from the dead by the means of the Holy Spirit. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead demands that I pay attention to what He said before He died. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We celebrate the resurrection. 
We celebrate the resurrection as proof that Jesus conquered death, rightfully so. But we also celebrate the resurrection as an exclamation point by God. As God saying, listen, He is the way, and this proves it. You listen to Him. He is the truth. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, if the resurrection isn't true, what are we doing? If the resurrection didn't happen, why are we even here? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith, is the quote. Paul says, either Jesus is the way, or else he is no way. Either he is the way, or he is not just another way. C.S. Lewis is uh, usually credited with the quote that Jesus was either lunatic lord, a lunatic liar or lord. But I want to share with you the bigger quote from C.S. Lewis. And I was going to try to paraphrase it, but I knew that I couldn't paraphrase it as well as he could just write it. So it's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to pay attention because it's really good. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people want to say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either the man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't come with this patronizing nonsense about him just being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. Jesus is either the way or he is no way. Now, I know <laughs> that all of you, or almost all of you, completely agree with all that I've said. Yes, we're on the same page. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So let me just close with this. We follow Jesus. We don't follow a proposition. We don't follow a program. We don't follow a plan. We follow Jesus. Listen to me closely. Christianity is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. Your favorite preacher, whoever that might be, is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. The elder that you are closest to is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. The church, as beautiful, as important, as, 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 you know, just as important as the church is, is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. A political platform is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Your version of Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. And guess what? What I believe about Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, isn't necessarily the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, 
the truth, and the life. If you are on any road, if you are on any way, and you don't see Jesus, you need to get off that road. Because you're in the wrong way. And you will never find truth. And you will never find life on any way that is not the Jesus way. God is inviting you onto the way, the Jesus way. Because while Jesus is very exclusive, let's get this straight, he is very exclusive about what, who the way is, he is incredibly inclusive about who's invited into the way. You know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, Jesus is inviting you into the way. Or maybe he's inviting you back into the way. There's truth. There's life on the Jesus way. For some of you, that might mean baptism. Maybe you've never taken that step. I would encourage you, if you've never done that, you need to think seriously about that. For some of you, that might mean a fresh start or a new beginning, a recommitment to the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe this morning you just need the prayers of people who love you. As a church family, if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come to the front and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing.